day. I'd like to welcome those watching us online as well. So glad you're with us. If you're visiting with us for the first time or been with us for a few weeks, we're so happy that you're here. Hope you're getting to know some folks. And for those of us that are Gateway family members, look around today. If there's someone you don't know, please afterwards go up, introduce yourself, get to know some folks, make them feel welcome, make some great kingdom connections here this morning. Got a few announcements, three for today and a couple other ones that are happening this week. And then we're going to call up the one, the only, Molly Moore, the children's director. I know everyone's excited about that. I know I am. All right, three things happening today. Very exciting. Uh, Immediately after church, um, about 1 o'clock, we're going to have the youth are hosting a kickball event uh, for a tournament just for games, fellowship. If you want to go home, get some food, bring it back. You can have a picnic out here on the lawn. The gym will be open to have picnic, I mean, uh, to eat inside of the tables. We have the little courtyard. Um, so if you want to go get food, go to the fast food place, come back. But one o'clock on the lawn, some fun and games with kickball and the youth will be hosting that. Also today at 4.30 is our prayer time. Very important difference just for today because we have another event. The 4.30 prayer time today will be in room one over in the gymnasium. So room one today at 4.30 will be the afternoon prayer time. And lastly for today, there's a wonderful new life group started. Kyle and Kayla, do a little wave. Woohoo! He's my nephew. I love him. So, um, so Kyle and Kayla are starting a new life group tonight at their home. Details are on the website at gatewaybaptist.com. And uh, you'll get all the wonderful information there, address, purpose, and everything that they're going to be doing. Very excited about that group tonight. A couple things happening this week. Our last reminder for Secret Church. This Friday night, April 29th, starting at 6 p.m., there's not, about nine slots left, uh, meaning there's nine books left. Uh, for this wonderful event. We're very excited to be able to be a part of that. A six-hour Bible study of um, fellowship, deep, intense Bible study. David Platt leads that. We'll have refreshments and other things to keep us awake and give us some energy. So this Friday night, April 29th, 6 o'clock, Secret Church. And lastly, this Saturday, April 30th, men's overnight backpacking trip will be this weekend uh, for men and their teenage sons if they want to come at the FDAR State Park, the Pine Mountain Trail, and there's a few spots left. Also, check it on the website, and you can register to prepare for that. So now, Molly Moore. Oh, I love my fan base. Thank you so much. Woo! All right. So um, just wanted to talk to you for just a moment. One of the things that's happening that we're excited about right now, it began this morning. We have started a brand-new curriculum again with our children called the Gospel Project. We have been doing, but we finished up. We're starting again. So we now have begun a three-year cycle. We will start with Genesis. We did today. What was the lesson about? All right. Elaine, you're cheating. You weren't even there. Come on. Boo. Good job, Elaine. That was good. (laughs) So we did. We started today with In the Beginning, and we are going to go three years each Sunday and Wednesday working on this, all of the scripture going all the way to the end, to the rep, to Revelations, the church's hope. So we're really excited about this. It's a great curriculum, very much um, a lot of scripture involved, a memory verse each, each month, lots of great lessons. Um, So I hope that you'll have your children involved in that. If you have any opportunity to do that, to come in the mornings or on Wednesday nights, 
Um, they've done the curriculum this time with a kind of a motto of, of learn, live, learn, love, and live. So it's really learning the scripture, the redemptive plan, and then learning how that draws us into our community and we learn to love and we learn to live for Jesus here and throughout the world. So it's really awesome. I hope you guys, if you're interested in looking it up, it is a Lifeway curriculum and it is called the Gospel Project if you want to know more about it. And then all of you people who are cheering and missing the kids, I have just the thing for you. <laughs> we have some things that we need to be working on, which is my, okay. First one is our nursery. We especially are having lots of babies in this church. We are taking scriptures literally, and we are reproducing and, I'm sorry. Sorry, online audience, whoever you are. Um, anyway, we are really have lots of new families, but we have some new families that are moving away too with military. So we, we have a lot of need right now in the nursery. I need some people to rock some babies or take care of babies just once a month if you can. Really anything you can do, just let me know if you feel led to help out in that way because the children need to, some one-on-one -on -one time and to be loved and, and appreciated here. And then the last thing is our vacation Bible school. Woohoo! So Missy's back there planning snacks as we speak. Um, June 13th through the 16th. I still need a little bit of help there. I've got most of my teaching positions covered. My main need is to someone to lead crafts. And even if you're not that crafty, we get these kits from um, Lifeway, and it's an easy to thing to put together. But I need a few more things. Um, again, however you can help would be fine. If you can help throughout the week or before or one or two days, just please come let me know. Think about it, pray about it, and let me know. And that is the end of the children's announcements. All right, if we please stand, we prepare our hearts before the Lord to worship through song. I want to read us this morning, Psalm chapter 30. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my enemies rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You have kept me alive that I would not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Now as for me, I said in my prosperity, I will never be moved. O oh Lord, by your favor you have made my mountain to stand strong. You hid your face and I was dismayed. To you, O oh Lord, I called and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness, that my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Let's worship him this morning. Okay. 
dead, trampling over death by death. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead. We are one with Him again. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave.
His hands, His feet, my Savior, that cursed tree. His body bound, entrenched in tears. They laid Him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance. By heavy soul, Messiah seal and all alone. No praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise His name forever.
every soul we could ever see Worthy of all the praise we could ever Worthy of every prayer we could ever breathe. We live for you. Jesus, name above every other name. Jesus, the only one that could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. Oh, we live for you. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder. above every other name Jesus the only one that could ever see worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you Lord we live for you Heart and lead me in your love to those of 
never ceases to amaze me the sacrifice you made paid the debt that we couldn't pay giving your life for your enemies so that we may be seated at your table and God in turn that we get to experience as you first loved us God that in turn as we experience that love that we are then able to love others the same way that we have the privilege and the responsibility and just the amazing fact that we get to represent you. We get to be like you in front of a lost and dying world to show them who you are with your love and your grace and your mercy. And that's what you've called us to as we trust you, as we just sing, God, that we won't be shaken because we are grounded in you and who you are. And Lord, I thank you. That's as we're going to hear for the next few weeks about us as the church and what you've called us to and who we are. God, I thank you for that we as a gateway family have opportunities in, our, in this community, in the spheres of influence that you've placed us, at our jobs, with our families and relationships, at schools and social settings, God, that we get to be salt and light, that we get to be your ambassadors, that we get to represent and we are citizens of the kingdom of God. And I pray for all of us in this room and those that are watching, Lord, that you would give us divine appointments, give us divine opportunities, God, to live our faith, to show our faith, to talk about our faith, to talk about you, to have opportunities to share what you've done in our lives, how you have set us free, as you have, as you have rescued us. God, give us those opportunities to live our lives missionally, focused on others and to take the gospel not just to Montgomery and to Alabama, the United States, but to the nations, Lord. We thank you. That's what you've called us to. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity each week to lift up others in our community, our other brothers and sisters in Christ that are partnering in kingdom work. Lord, I thank you so much for my brother Jeremy Lynch and his ministry with the Love Loud Montgomery Food Bus that he is faithful every week to go to the food bank and different places to gather food to pack a, a bus, to then go to different places in the community, in the river region, to not just be the hands and feet of Jesus, to give food to those that are in need, God, but to bring the gospel, to bring the life-saving hope message of what you've done for us. So we ask you to bless him, give him strength, protect his family, continue to provide for him and what the ministry needs, Lord. Lord, we thank you also for our extended family over at the church at Eastern Oaks, Pastor Danny Gillenwater. We pray, God, you would bless them this morning. Fill them afresh, Lord, with your spirit. As he brings your word and the ministry that you've called them to over on Wears Ferry Road. 
We thank you for them and the ministry that they are doing. We pray, God, you continue to draw people to them. And as they reach their community with the gospel, give them wisdom and discernment and strategies and vision of what you desire to do in and through that congregation. And, Lord, we thank you so much for the ministry. Uh, we get to partner here with New Life in Christ that meets here every week um, right after us for the past 10 years. We thank you, Lord, for bringing Pastor Samuel here and him only being here a few months. We pray, God, you continue to bless him and his family. Protect them, Lord. Provide for them. Pray that you continue to renew vision and uh, strategy as they reach the Hispanic community around us. We pray, God, you continue to draw people to their congregation as your word goes forth. We thank you for the relationship that we've had with them all these years, God, and continue to bless them. And Lord, we thank you. We get to pray for others around the globe who are on the front lines in different ways, God, doing your work. And we pray for Ryan Thomas and his family who we support, who has been overseas in Asia with his family and as he is teaching and equipping um, other men and pastors and different ones in the community that he's in, uh, where we pray protection over them because he's in a difficult place, protection over he and his family. We pray, God, that you continue to provide resources they need uh, for the family to live, to be able to thrive, and to be able to do what they need to do, God, to do your kingdom work there in that community. Lord, we thank you for your provision, God. You're a good God. You've blessed us so much. And we thank you for the offering that's been given today, whether online or here. Uh, Lord, we ask you to bless it for your kingdom work here at Gateway and what you've called us to do here, those that you've called us to reach and to facilitate what you desire to do with your kingdom work. We thank you and praise you so much for that. And lastly, Lord, we thank you for our shepherd. We thank you so much for Grady, for his heart, uh, for his desire to love us, to protect us, uh, to serve us, to shepherd us. We pray, God, you would just give him wisdom today and discernment as he brings your word. Lord, I just know week in and week out as I watch him, he is so faithful, God, to dig and dig in your presence and to prepare the messages each week. He has such a love and a heart and a passion to teach your word. And we pray you bless him today. Give him energy and strength as you speak through him today, Father. And again, Lord, we just love you. We praise you. I pray that every one of us in this room never take for granted the fact that we can gather here fact that we can come each Sunday morning like this without any uh, persecution or suffering that could happen or someone walk in and arrest us or even possibly kill us. God, we thank you for the freedoms we have. We thank you we can gather like this as family to worship you and praise you. We are so grateful for who you are and what you're doing. Continue, God, to have your way here at Gateway. You are the chief shepherd. You are Lord. Have your way among us and do what you desire to do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, kids, you're dismissed. Follow Miss Nikki out the double doors, and we'll see you at kids' worship. Well, good morning, Gateway family. It is great to see you on this beautiful day that God has given to us. Once you find Ephesians chapter 1 in your copy of God's Word, Ephesians chapter 1. We're continuing our journey to be more rooted and grounded in what we believe, and we are in the home stretch of this journey now. As we've been going along this year, we've been guided by the New City Catechism, this series of questions and answers to help us understand what we believe. And as you think back over the last years, we've come to certain topics. We combine several questions into one to address those, but there are certain topics that we've come to that we've expanded out where we did not believe one week was sufficient to address all that there was to that question. So we spent several weeks on certain topics. The question we come to today is one of those. It is a question that the other elders and I believe is so important we can't do it in just 
one week. What question is that? It's question number 48 from our catechism, and that is, what is the church? What is the church? Now, friends, this question is so important because there's many, many people who claim to be followers of Christ, and they get the answer to this question wrong. Right here in our city, we have friends who would say, yes, I'm a follower of Christ, but they get the answer wrong to what is the church. How do we know that? Because we see a lot of very unbiblical approaches to the church. For example, we all know people who approach church like a consumer. We're very much a consumer-driven society, and if we're not intentional in our understanding of God's word, we approach the church as a consumer as well. What does this church offer for me? I'm going to go to this event, but that's not really of interest to me, or this church isn't doing what I want, so I'm going to pull back and find something that better meets my needs. And if we're not careful, there is also the temptation to view church like a buffet back in the old cafeteria buffet days. I'm going to go to this church to get my teaching and go over here to get my, my praise and go over here to get my service and over here to get my life. If we're not careful, our cultural consumerism comes in and we treat the church as if we're a consumer. But the other way we see the church approached wrongly by many who claim the name of Christ is if you think back to ever going to the circus as a child and a juggler who's juggling all those balls. I heard the image once that so many believers approach the church like a juggler, and we juggle all these different balls in our life, our family time and our hobbies and our yard work and our recreation and all these different things in our work, and church becomes one ball that we juggle, and when there's too many balls to juggle and we get kind of busy, we just kind of pull the church one out because it doesn't seem that important to it. It's the ball that we let drop when life gets busy. Because both those approaches are so common today, but they miss the biblical understanding of what is the church. So today we want to start with the foundational question, what is the church? And over the next two weeks, build on that, expound on that one more to understand what is our mission and purpose, and then what is our role in what God is doing in the church. So that's coming the next two weeks, but let's start today with what is the church. There's many places in scripture we could turn to answer this question, but I want us to begin today with Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians is a letter written by Paul. To believers in the city of Ephesus, we studied this letter several years back, but I want us to dig back into two verses in particular that we saw as part of a bigger picture then, but I want us to go deep on today. This letter was written around 60 AD. It was to help believers understand who they are in Christ and how they live as a result of it. So it's no wonder if Paul is writing to help us understand our identity in Christ and how we live, the church is part of it. In fact, he references the church more than nine times in this letter because our corporate identity, our communal identity together is an important part of who we are in Christ. So today we're going to look at Ephesians 1 verses 22 and 23. As we read these two short verses here, I want us to look for what do we learn about the church? But more than that, I want us to look at our own hearts. Is this how I view the church? Because friends, we can give the right answers. But is this what our lives show we actually believe? We talk about our confessional theology, what we say we believe, but our functional theology, what do our lives actually show we really believe and live out? What do we believe about the church? So Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? I'm reading out the English Standard Version, and we also will have the words on the screen for you. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 22. And he put all things under his feet... And gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful as CJ already prayed for the, the blessing of meeting together. And what a privilege you have given to us to know you and to know you together. 
And so what I pray this morning as we talk about what is the church, as we dig into Ephesians 1, I pray your Holy Spirit would fill each one of us, that you would open our eyes to understand the depths and wonders of your plan for the church and our role in it, and you would just give us a sense of awe and thankfulness and challenge and conviction to be who you've called us to be as your people. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So what is a church? I want to give us a one-sentence summary of what I think this text is teaching, and then I want us to unpack that this morning. But this is the one takeaway I see when I look at Ephesians 1. What is a church? Here's the answer for this morning. The church is God's sovereign plan for uniting his people together with Jesus as their Lord. The church is God's sovereign plan for uniting his people together with Jesus as their Lord. That means, friends, that the church is not an afterthought. It's not some capitulation to our needs. It's not some historical invention here. It's the plan of the sovereign God from before time began. And it's his plan for bringing his people together. And not to just connect them loosely for an hour a week, but to unite his people together under the lordship of Christ. Where together his people submit to him. Where together his people follow him. It's his sovereign plan for uniting his people together with Jesus as their Lord. Now all that comes from these last two verses. There's so much in these two verses, I want you to see this truth from this text. So let's dig into this again, thinking, is this how I think about and view the church? Let's start with this phrase, this is the sovereign plan of God. Now, if you were with us last week on Easter Sunday, this phrase will sound familiar because I used it last week also. What does it mean when we talk about Jesus' sovereign plan? Well, if you're new to Gateway, I want to explain what it means. If you've been around a while, let me just remind us of the wonder of this. The word sovereign is not originally a religious word. It's actually a political word in this. So you talk about the sovereignty is the right to rule over an area. So we talk about the United States has sovereignty over our lands. France's government has sovereignty over France. So the United States can't make a law that's enforced in France, and France can't make a law that's enforced here, right? We have different sovereignty. U.S. has sovereignty here. France has sovereignty there. So sovereign means the right to rule but when you talk about sovereignty, you also have to add to that the power to actually rule. When you look at wars going on in the world, there's people who are competing over sovereignty, over wanting to rule a certain area. And that's why there's militaries. That's why there's fighting, because people are trying to exert their power to rule over a certain area, to exert their sovereignty over a part of a debated land. So when we come to talk about Scripture and the sovereignty of God, we're talking about God's right to rule, we're talking about his power to rule. Both of those go together. It's his right to rule. He's the creator of all. Maliari references Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created all. Therefore, he is the rightful ruler over all things. We'll come to that in our text in a minute as well. And though not in this text this morning, we're reminded of sovereignty. It means that God has the power to rule as well. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17 is a beautiful text that reminds us of God's, what we call his omnipotence, his power over all things. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great what? By your great what? It's God's power, his sovereignty over all things. He rules and he has the power to rule. He has the right to rule and the power to rule. He does it by his outstretched arm. Nothing, 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 nothing is too hard for you. And what does God have the right to rule over? Everything, all things there. Um, back in the late 1800s, there was a theologian and a politician. Now, those normally don't go together, right? But this has happened in history. There was a politician who was a theologian. His name was Abram Kuyper. You may have heard this quote from me and others before, but he says this. He says, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence of which Christ, who is Lord over all, does not exclaim, mine. There's not a square inch anywhere in all of existence over which Christ, who is Lord of all, does not exclaim, shout out, this is mine. God is sovereign over 
all things. We see that in our verse 22 this morning. Go back to our text this morning. Now, in verse 22, there's a lot of he's and his's, so let's make sure we see what we're reading here. And he, this first he is God the Father. So he, God the Father, put all things, notice the word all here, under his, now this is now God the Son, Jesus' feet. So God the Father put all things under Jesus' feet. Now what in the world does that mean? To put something under the feet was an image at the time for a conquering king who was now ruling over his enemies that he had conquered. So for example, Psalm 110, verse 1, you see a glimpse of this. In Psalm 110, 1, I think we have it on the screen for you there. I think, there you go. A Psalm of David, the Lord says to my Lord. Now, if you're looking at your Bible, the first Lord is all capitals. This is Yahweh. We're talking about God the Father says to Christ, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Father gave to the Son the right to rule over all and to put all things under his feet for Christ to be the sovereign ruler over all things. So go back to verse 22 this morning. And he, the Father, put all things under Christ's feet here. That means that the Father has made Christ the sovereign ruler over all things, over all things here. But there's more here. Notice there's an and here. And the Father also has given, this word give means to appoint, then Father's intentionally set for something to happen. He gave him, Christ, as head over all things to the church. So the Father has appointed Christ to be the head over all things. Now, head means leader, the one who has authority. And he's the leader over how many things here? Go back to verse 22. If we can put it back up on the screen there. I think we got it back up. He's the leader over how many things? All things, that Christ is sovereign over all things. This is the plan of the Father, and this includes the church there. He made him his head over all things, including to the church. Now, we see this in other places in Scripture. Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 to 18. Notice how the sovereignty of God and the authority over the church connects here. For by him, this is Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things... We're created through him and for him. Verse 17, he carries on. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now verse 18. And he, Christ, is the head, here is the leader, the one over all, the head of the body, the church. So we have the sovereignty of God over all things. Christ is a sovereign Lord, and that includes over the church. Friends, this is wonderful news for us because that means he has a plan for the church. And he's not left us wondering what it is. He has a plan that he's appointed for his church and what it is to look like and how it's to function. And he has revealed it to us. So go back to verse 22. And he, the Father, put all things under Christ's feet and gave Christ his head over all things to the church. That means the church is God's sovereign plan. Now, with that said, what do we mean by the word the church here? Because we talk about church a lot. Well, when you see the word church here, usually in the Greek, including here, it's a Greek word, ekklesia. Now, sometimes in Scripture, Paul will invent new words to teach us the truth. This is not a new word that Paul invents. This is a very common Greek word at the time that means to assemble together. The church is literally an assembly. That means it's people together. It's God's people coming together. Now, it's used different ways in Scripture. So, for example, Acts chapter 9, verse 31, all the believers in a region are called the church. So the church, the ecclesia, the assembly throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. So church is used here to mean all the believers in this huge, broad region because they had a common unity. Though they lived in different regions, they were all under Christ and they were all praying for another. Friends, that's why we pray, like CJ prayed earlier, for the nations and for churches in other countries. That's why we pray for other churches in Montgomery because there's a unity all believers in the world share under Christ. We're all part of the assembly where God has brought his people together. 
But church is also used more specifically in Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. It's used to refer to all of the churches together in a city. To the church of God, that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. So you have here the church in a city. All these believers in this huge city are called the church. They're called to be saints together. But notice this, with all those in every place, you call in the name of the Lord. So there's a sense of the assembly being the believers in a region who interact with one another and encourage one another as they still meet in different places. But then Romans chapter 16, verse 5, the word church is also applied to what we would call a local church here. So greet also the church in their house. It was real common at the time then, and it's real common now in parts of the world like in China and North Korea and places where there's a lot of persecution to have house churches, and that is a church. So greet the assembly in their house. So the church can mean all of those things. But when you look at Scripture, you look particularly at the commands about the church, the church leadership and how the church is to be structured and church discipline and all those type things, it's talking about the local church, the assembly of believers together who meet regularly together, who love one another, who serve together, who do all these things together, where they primarily are united to be fed together and to serve together and to assemble together. And God calls us people to be part of the assembly, the ecclesia, the church. Go back to verse 22. He put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. So what is the church? It's God's sovereign plan for how his people relate together. Friends, that means fundamentally we cannot do church alone. Church is community. Church is relationships. Church is communal. We need to be in relations in the church where we know others well and others know us well. But friends, this idea of assembling, of being a place of gathering, communicates a lot more than we just come to the same room for one hour a week to sing a few songs and to hear a message. The church is about more than just us casually passing each other on this. The church is God's sovereign plan for, as I said earlier, uniting his people together. For uniting his people together, it's more than we just happen to be in the same room an hour a week. It's about a unity that God is creating among believers. God is intending for the church to be a place where our lives are so intertwined, so close, so personal, that the best metaphor for communicating this type of deep relationship God gives to us is that of the body. Look here in verses 22 and 23. And he, the Father, put all things under his Christ's feet and gave Christ his head over all things to the church. Now verse 23, the church, which is his what? It's his body. The church is Christ's body. This is a metaphor for us to help us understand how we are to relate to one another and to him. So friends, when you think of your own body, think of your hand and your arm or your foot and your leg, does it just happen to casually notice each other once a week? Your hand and your arm work together, vitally united on this. Your body parts are all tightly knit together. One author I was reading called it a vital union. That all your body parts, your, your, the nerves in your fingertips, your brain, your heart, your legs, your muscles, everything is working together in a vital union together because we're to be united. Now, this is the image that God gives to us, one of several images to help us understand how we are to relate. That means the church is a place we are to have a vital union with one another. We're to have a vital union with one another. Just as our feet, legs, arms, hands all work together to have a vital union, so we as believers are to have a vital union with one another. God takes us with our different backgrounds, our different giftings, our different personalities, and he unites us together to have a deep, close relationship with one another. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 4. I love how it describes it for us. In Romans 12, 4, for as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Verse 5 carries on. 
So we, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. That we are to be united, to be close to each other. Just like my hand and my arm are closely connected, we're to have close relationships with one another where we're vitally connected with one another. Friends, that means in God's plan, we need each other. We desperately need one another. Just as my hand needs my arm and my arm needs my shoulder, we need one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 17 to 21 shows us this. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Carries on in verse 18. But as is God arranged the members in the body. Now just pause for a minute here. Because this means in the sovereign plan of God, if he's called you to be part of Gateway, he's brought you here because you have particular gifts and talents he wants you to use for building up the body. You're not here by accident. You're here by the sovereign plan of God. So as is God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. Verse 19, he carries on. If we're all a single member, where would the body be? Verse 20. As it is, there are many parts, yet how many bodies? One body. Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor the head can say to the feet, I have no need of you. He carries on in verse 27. He wraps all this up for us in this image that we're looking at here. Verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. That we need one another. Now, friends, this means for people who, are, who say, I'm a follower of Christ, but they do, they're not part of a local church, or their local church involvement is only they come into a room on a Sunday morning and leave, they're hurting themselves. Because we are made for community. We are made for relations. We need one another. And so we hurt ourselves if we live in isolation from the church community. But if we're not deeply connected relationally in the church community, we're also depriving other people and hurting them because God has given every believer spiritual gifts. This is coming in two weeks. But spiritually, it's to use for building each other up. God has given you a calling and a reason to be involved in a local church to serve other people and use what God has given you to help others. So he's called us to be united together. We're to have a vital union with one another. But this imagery of we're the body of Christ also means we're to have a vital union with Christ himself. That we're to have a vital union with Christ. Friends, there's something really important in this image of the body. None of us are the head, Okay. I think we, we could say that theoretically, but I think a lot of times in our lives we forget that none of us are the head. We may be an eye or an ear or a nose or a hand or a foot or whatever else, but none of us are the head. Only Christ is the head of the body. And how much conflict in homes, how much conflict in churches, how much conflict between Christian friends is because we think we're the head and everyone else needs to do what we want them to do. Friends, we need to remember that none of us are the head. Yes, we are individually members of the body. And we're all in this together, but only Christ himself is the head. Colossians chapter 2, verse 19 reminds us of that. He's talking about the false teachers and warning them. So he, call, he cautions them about not holding fast to the head. Notice head is capital here because it's Christ. Not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Friends, if we forget that Christ is the head, we will not grow as we should grow. We, should, we will not be becoming what we should become. He, Christ alone, is the head. That means individually, we submit to Jesus as our Lord. That's why we talk a lot about when we trust Christ, we're not just trusting him to be our savior so we don't go to hell. We're trusting him as our Lord, as our master, as our boss. But it also means that this is a corporate identifying with Christ as Lord, that we are encouraging each other to know the person of Christ. We are encouraging each other to walk with Christ. We're encouraging each other to submit to the lordship of Christ and to grow in holiness. That together we are helping each other submit to Christ as Lord. 
Because the reality, friends, if someone in the body, in the local church, is not following Christ as Lord, it hurts the whole body. If my right leg decides in just a minute as I step down the step, it's not going to do what my head says to do, and I face plant here off this platform, which thankfully has not happened yet, but if that happened, my whole body would hurt because my leg decided not to follow what the head said. That's a picture for us, this vital union we have. When one member of the body of Christ says, yeah, I'm not going to follow Christ's commands here, it impacts the whole body. But friends, likewise, if someone in the body is putting Christ as Lord by his grace and submitting to him and the joy of the Lord is in them and they're excited about the Lord and they're encouraging others, the whole body gets built up. If I go out for a long hike or I go exercise and my legs get stronger, it helps my heart, it helps my lungs, it helps my brain. My whole body benefits when my legs get stronger. This is a picture for us. This is a vital union. When you pursue Christ and you get to know him more and know the person of Christ and you're in his word and his word is alive to you and you're rejoicing in him and he's giving you victory over temptation and you're finding joy to walk through the trials of life, friends, it not only helps you, it helps the whole body that you are connected with. That is God's plan for how we relate. That is his sovereign plan for uniting us together with Christ as the Lord. And friends, the reality is we live in a world that does not like the idea of submitting to a Lord, doesn't like the idea of having masters or bosses. The world rejects the idea that we should be under an authority, that we should be under what God has told us to do and not to do. Our world wants us to be our own gods, our own bosses. But friends, I want to remind us, when we talk about Christ is our Lord, and together Christ is our Lord, this is not some type of curse. Because this is a blessing. It is a grace gift. Christ as a Lord is a grace gift to us. Look back at verse 22. There is an absolutely stunning word here. I don't want you to miss this morning. And he put all things under his feet and gave him, Jesus, as head over all things. What's the next word here? To the church. This word means to something or for the benefit of or on behalf of something. That the sovereignty of God, the lordship of Christ, is a gift to the church. It's not just church go submit to Christ as Lord, but church receive the blessing, the grace, the benefit of the Father's plan for Christ to be your Lord and Christ who is sovereign over all to be your Lord. The, the grace gift to us as believers. Let that sink in, friends. The fact that Jesus is the sovereign Lord over all is a gift to you personally, is a gift to this church body, is a gift to the nations as well. How so? Well, personally, if we really believe Christ is Lord and he is sovereign, because that means you and I are not left to chart our own life course on our own. That he has called us and he has given us a path he wants us to run down and he is walking with it. He's given us his word. He's given us the Holy Spirit. And in his love, when we wander from his plan, he convicts us and he disciplines us to get us back on path. But even collectively, friends, we're not left to wander through this life alone. He's given us the grace gift of one another and he knows how quickly we can face plant spiritually, so to speak. So he's given us this grace gift of community. He says, now go get in each other's lives. Know each other well. Speak the truth to one another. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. If we jump ahead to that, rather we're told speaking the truth. What's the truth? The gospel. Speaking the truth in love. And just remind us, some of us love well, some of us speak truth, and we've got to do both, okay? Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up together in every way into him, who was the head, into Christ. Now, verse 16, he carries on. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, so it builds itself up in love. That God's plan for the church is for us to be united together in such a way to know each other well enough that we can speak the truth in love to one another. Friends, it's hard to speak the truth in love to people you don't know. 
So God is calling us to be united as close as our hand is to our arm and our arm is to our shoulder to live this vital union with one another where we're not just being like, hey, nice weather today or hey, that was a good game yesterday, but to be in such a relationship that we can speak truth to each other. How are you doing with that sin struggle? Hey, you seem discouraged today. Let's talk about the promises of God. I know you're walking through a trial. Let's pray together for it. He's called us to be in such a deep relationship with one another that we have this grace gift to speak the truth in love to one another, knowing that he is Lord over all. So if we realize back in verse 22 that this is a grace gift to the church. Personally, he's guiding us collectively. He's given us one another. But friend, globally, think about his sovereignty and lordship. This means the church will not fail. That God has called us to be part of something that will succeed and will accomplish his purposes. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. This is an amazing promise when Christ is talking to Peter. He says, I tell you, you're Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church... Again, there's not a square inch in all of creation where Christ is not saying mine. This, the church is his, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Friends, the church will succeed. The time will come that there are believers from every tongue, tribe, and nation like Revelation talks about because Christ's mission will not fail. What a grace gift he has given to us. All things are under his feet. He's been given his head over all things Two, for the benefit of, as a gift to the church. The sovereignty of God, the lordship of Christ is a grace, grace gift to us individually, collectively, and globally. Friends, the church is God's sovereign plan to unite his people together with Jesus as their Lord. And friends, there's a lot more we can say about the church, and we will over the next two weeks. But I want to ask two questions this morning. In light of this truth, if we can put the, the main idea back up on the screen, that the church is God's sovereign plan for uniting his people together with Jesus as their Lord. In light of that truth, two questions for each of us. Number one, do we treasure and prioritize the church? <clears throat> do we pre treasure and prioritize the church? If we look again, not, we can give the right answer. Oh, I know the church is not a building. The church is the people. I think everyone in this room could give the right answer. But friends, what do our lives show? Is church a menu we choose from? Ah, I like this from this church, and I want that from that church, and I want this here. Oh, I'm mad that they did this this different way. I'm going to go here now. Is church a ball we juggle and we go, oh, life's busy. I'm going to take out the church ball right now for my juggling. Or is the church something we treasure, that we long for and cherish and delight in the relationships we have with one another, knowing it is a grace gift from God? Friends, do we prioritize, do we treasure these relationships with one another? Maybe you're new to Gateway and going, you know, hey, I really don't even know many people here. What do I do? That's why we offer small groups, friends. Not because we want to keep you busy, but because we want you to have a place to go beyond what you can do on Sunday morning, whether it's a life group in a home or a Wednesday night, men's and women's group or a Sunday morning class. We offer these to you, not for you to be here and do everything, but we want to give you opportunities to treasure relationships and get to know people on a deep level. Please, please plug in somewhere and get to know people beyond just the Sunday morning gathering. Friends, do we treasure and do we prioritize the church? But question number two, friends, do we love other believers in the church as if they are really part of our body? Do we, do we love other believers in the church as if they are really part of our body? Friends, Jesus died and rose again. We saw it last week to redeem us a people, to unify us together. And he calls us to build each other up in love, to speak the truth in love to one another, to help each other grow, to help each other submit to the lordship of Christ. Friends, do we love others that way? Or friends, are we quick to do the opposite, to criticize, to gossip, to assume the worst, to get offended, and with our words tear down instead of build up, or with our neglect of relationships to leave people where they are. Friends, do we really love others as if we believe we are so united in the body that we need one another? Do we treasure and prioritize the church, and do we love others 
and the church. This is God's sovereign plan for how he wants us to live. Let's pray this week that God will give us grace to grow in our love for each other and the treasure of the church. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that you are the sovereign Lord over all. God, that you have come up with a plan from before time began to glorify yourself by creating a people for yourself. Lord, it is humbling and overwhelming to realize that you have called us not just to salvation, but you've called us to be part of your people. God, you could have left us on our own. You could have left us destined for this path towards hell, but you chose and you reached down to history and turned our hearts to you and redeemed us. You didn't leave us alone on this journey. You dropped us into the church. You've given us friendships and relationships and you've gifted and called us to serve. Lord, we confess we are a busy people and we can be so distracted but yet, Lord, we recognize that we read your word, how much we need you, how much we need one another. And so, Lord, in my heart and the heart of these precious brothers and sisters, God, would you increase our treasuring of the church? Would you help us understand this is not just a building and not just a calendar of events we do, but these are relationships, God-given relationships that you and your grace have given to us. And Lord, I pray for myself and these precious brothers and sisters that you would take us deeper with one another. Lord, I'm so grateful for the laughter we share and the common interests so many share, but God, we want to be a people who are challenging each other to pursue knowing the person of Christ, to pursue growing in holiness. Lord, would you take us to the next level of speaking the truth in love to one another, helping each other grow. Lord, I pray you would help us not be timid or shy of talking deeply about spiritual things, of talking about your word, of calling each other to deeper discipleship. Lord, would you grow us in that? And Lord, would you grow us as a body and rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. Father, what a grace gift to know we are not alone in life and to realize that when one part of the body rejoices, the whole body rejoices and one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. God, would you give us as a people again with such a vital union with one another that we truly weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. God, we confess we can't make that happen. Now, there's no amount of determination or action plan or steps or goals we can take to create that type of vital union, to create that type of love for one another, Lord. We can't manufacture love in our heart for one another, but the Holy Spirit can. So Holy Spirit, would you fill each one of us who names the name of Christ? And would you increase not only our love for you, God, but our love for one another. Give us eyes to see one another, Lord, the way you see them. Give us a deep love for one another and a willingness to sacrificially love, serve, care for, and build up one another, all for the sake of the church and for Christ, who is Lord of all. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song? again for I believe in the name 
cannot defend the suffering crucified. Forgiveness is in you. Descended into darkness, you rose in glorious light. Forever seated high. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. And I believe in you. Even if you don't know them, that's okay. You're like, hey, I don't even know your name, but I want to pray for you this week. How can I pray for you? Just 
Let's start being intentional, friends, about that. But with that said, some of you may carry some burdens. You want some of the elders to pray for you. After the service, I want a few of our elders to be up front. So maybe, Greg, I see you come on. If you come here, and Seth, I know you're over here. Maybe you cover the front. And Rick, if you may want to come here in the middle. I'd love for at least two or three of you guys to be up front. If you want to need someone to pray for you, you're like, I don't know who to talk to. These brothers love the Lord deeply. They shepherd you. They pray for you on Wednesday mornings. And so if you need someone to pray with, you're not sure who to go to. Find Greg or Rick. Or Seth, and there's other elders. See Jeff in the room back there, and Williams back here. There's others in the room as well. Reach out to one of us and let us pray for you. But let me pray for us now. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for the declaration we could just proclaim in unity that, God, we believe in you. We can only do that because, Lord, you've shown yourself to us. You've given us your word and revealed yourself, and you opened our eyes to the truth. And so, Lord, we say thank you for that. Lord, I pray that this week that you would grow our love for you and you grow our love for one another, or even if it's just a step of praying for one another, that you would give us that burden to intercede for each other this week and strengthen us as a body so that as we'll see next week, we can do what you have called us to do as your church to bring you glory. So guard us and protect us from enemy schemes this week. We know there's a very real enemy who wants to destroy each one of us, to destroy our families, to destroy this church. So we ask this week for your mercy and grace to keep us close to Christ and close to one another. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family.